Hi, I'm Deborah Hamilton. Welcome to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? Ten years ago, with my iPhone and a script, I recorded the first episode of the Ultimate Pet Resolution Summit, which chatted with experts about conflicts over animals. Our conversations were intimate, honest, and illustrated how disagreements over animals occur and how those disagreements can reshape people's lives and relationships. In November 2019, I started Why Do Pets Matter, a new podcast that continued these informative discussions. I'm so excited to have you here with me, continuing my exploration into a more meaningful conversation about why pets matter to all of us. My guests and I will share ideas, stories, and experiences straight from the heart, unscripted and holistic. From the bravest moments to the most brokenhearted, we will explore how to resolve disagreements over animals differently. One thing I know for sure is I want to have more meaningful conversations that will help all of us unlock that deeply felt human-animal bond that drives the emotions of conflict. Hi everyone, today we're gonna to talk to Elizabeth Stutz. She's an attorney colleague of mine in Virginia and we've had several discussions about microchips and the benefits and drawbacks of microchips because we might think they are the end all and the be all. However, they are only as good as the information that's on them and the scanning that's done of them. And then we're going to talk about some of the vagaries of whether or not everyone scans for microchips. So let's hear what Elizabeth and I talk about today involving microchips. Hi everyone, Deborah Hamilton and the Why Do Pets Matter podcast. I'm here with Elizabeth Stutz. She's a good friend and an attorney who helps people resolve conflicts over animals with veterinarians, whatever comes in, in our sphere of pet services. I'm so glad she's here. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here. I am so glad you're here as well. I cannot believe that we have so many things to speak about of interest, but the first one we're going to do is, of course, the first question I ask every guest, Elizabeth, why do pets matter to you? Well, I come from this, first of all, as I was a biology major, so I think of all of us as being animal species, and our planet is diverse, and we're just one of the animals among animals, and so, of course, animals are important. Um, I think pets in particular are important to me and I think to most people because they bring out, um, I think they most frequently bring out the best in us. Uh, they, they help us with empathy, with sympathy, with nonverbal communication. They teach us that we're not always the most important person or being. Uh, they teach children responsibility. They teach children to care about a being that is maybe less powerful than they are. I think pets, a home without pets is not a home to me, but um, then I'm a little bit biased. I know I'm biased as well. I always told my kids they were so lucky their mother liked dogs because they had like six or eight of them all the time. And it was quite a menagerie. And both of them actually um, do have pets now. So it's interesting. So Elizabeth, I'd love to ask you a little bit about how your love for pets impacted how you started your practice. I initially thought that I might go to vet school and um, I worked for a veterinarian who was very old school at the time. Oh, the practice is changing. I don't think you're going to like it by the time you get there, that sort of thing. And um, I got a bit dissuaded from that. And then I became interested in environmental law 
And then I thought, well, I've always liked medicine too. Maybe I can combine science and law. So, and also because I enjoy communicating with people. So, and learning different things. And my practice has really, with very few exceptions over the years, has combined science and law. And, you know, that's so, such an important piece. Well, so anyway, in animal science to me is the most important and most interesting science. So um, anytime that I was able to assist a veterinarian or to be involved with, say, a horse sale transaction or um, anything that could bring in my sort of outside knowledge of horses and animals, um, you know, I did that. It always is funny how that happens. I wanted to be a veterinarian as well. Chemistry got me. So that's what made me pivot um, into you the did, law. Me too. I was, <laughs> of course, I was the better. partying in the chemistry together, I think, was probably part of the problem. But Exactly, exactly. So I, I said, well, I'm not necessarily going to excel in this. So I might as well figure out how I can buy a horse as opposed to um, become a horse veterinarian. That's what I wanted to do. Yeah. So it's interesting, though. There are so many things that are missing misunderstood in the world of pet ownership that we take for granted. And you and I have actually had a conversation about the requirements of anyone who picks up a pet who has a microchip. So I wanted to talk today with you because we've had this conversation. I love the back and forth that we've had. And I think my listeners are going to really be interested in understanding um, what they believe is true about microchips and what they might not understand about microchips. So tell me a little bit about your experience with um, microchips and how they are um, required scanning or not required scanning, depending on who you are. Well, um, the first thing I think that I would uh, say about microchips is that they are overwhelmingly a good idea. Um, you know, to have your pet micro, there's really no reason to not have your pet microchipped, cat, dog, um, any sort of mammal, ferret, I guess, uh, anything that could escape or get out of your control. Uh, it's a good idea to have them microchipped. It's a very, in the scheme of things, generally inexpensive procedure. It's a procedure that has very little risk, although there is some risk. Um, obviously, anytime you have an invasive procedure, it's usually, I think, about a 12-gauge or 18-gauge needle. Um, the, the microchip itself is about the size of a grain of rice, so it's very small. Um, but of course, anytime you have an invasive procedure, there's the risk of infection. There is also um, really the only downside that I could find is that there are a few studies that pets uh, that have been microchipped have developed uh, different types of cancers in the area where the microchip was inserted. It's statistically very, very uh, small. So I think it's probably not a significant risk, but it is out there. Overwhelmingly, however, microchips reunite lost pets with people. If you go on Home Again, which is the largest manufacturer of microchips, you can go on their site. And I think it says to date, 3 million pets have been re reunited with their owners and counting. So it is really, I think, if you have pets, essential that you get them microchipped. Now, people say, well, I don't need to have my pet microchipped. I live in an apartment in New York. My cat never goes outside. Or um, my dog is very well trained. Or we have collars on all of our animals. And microchipping and collars are not an either-or proposition. You should have a collar and you should have a microchip. 
Um, not everybody, you know, if your dog gets loose in a situation and somebody catches it, the average person doesn't have a scanner. If you, they've right. got a collar, the collar has an ID tag, that's the most obvious way of getting your pet back. And I have no tolerance for people who say cats won't wear collars because they will. It's just whatever they get used to. So a collar should always be your first line of defense. But second of all, I've had people say, well, you know, I, I, I never let my pet out. So why would I bother to microchip? Well, you know, the air conditioning man comes in and leaves the door open or you're traveling with your dog and you're at a rest stop and something happens and startles you and you drop the leash and it scares the dog and they run off or you have a natural disaster, like a tornado. You know, there are just many, many uh, situations that you might not think about that could lead to your pet being lost. So having the microchip is very helpful. One common mis misperception about microchips is that they're somehow like a GPS, which they're not. So the way the microchip works is that it's inserted underneath the skin. No anesthetic is really necessary. They, uh, the veterinarian will take the skin above the shoulder blades and kind of tent the skin up and then take a syringe and insert the microchip. It's that simple. It's no more painful than a vaccine, really. So glad you said that because a lot of people are a little worried that it's going to be painful. And I'm just so interested in understanding that there's a small percentage that have a reaction to it. Sometimes it's just a benign tumor. Sometimes it can create cancer. The other thing that I've heard is that sometimes with age, it can migrate. And this so if in fact you have one, you should always remind the veterinarian to go up the right leg, down the left leg, through the back, wherever, because sometimes they're found in the chest, in the front of the chest, and every a bunch of other places, correct? That's true. They do. And um, so the generally accepted area is the area, the shoulder blades behind the neck. And it's uh, because for one thing, it's an area that the animal can't groom easily. And it's usually will be stabilized by the shoulder blades. The microchip can migrate. And if it migrates me and somebody's scanning, looking for it in the shoulder blade area and it's migrated to wherever it's gone, you know, then it's not going to help. I don't know what the percentage is of microchips that migrate. I think it's probably not terribly high. It's like less than um, 1%, but they do migrate. So veterinarians, I think, and most shelters will scan shoulder blades left and right and uh -huh. hopefully take you know, a good scan because you really want to make sure if you've scanned your pet that they find it. So hopefully they will do that. Right. And are horses chipped yet or not yet? Well, I think in some instances, yes. Um, but it is not something that is, it's not standard by any Yeah, it's uh, not standard practice yet. Yeah, they're still identified no, because on horses a have tattoos. You know, like, for example, racehorses, uh, thoroughbred racehorses have a lip tattoo. You know, there, there are other ways of identifying horses that are not feasible really for a smaller animal like a pet. And especially right. animals that have a thicker coat. You know, the horse's coat is generally not so thick. Uh, so a brand is something that's easier to see. Let's see, the, the, the microchipping, here's another thing to keep in mind is that there are if you look on the American uh, Animal Hospital Association page, they, they kind of are the clearinghouse for information about these microchips. And there are many different manufacturers of microchips, and some are slightly different than others. All of them should be scanned 
and be, you know, well, it, a, a number will come up. Right. And then that number, you can go to that registry and then, you know, go backwards or I just say you, the only people who can do this are veterinarians and people from shelters, but not every scanner can find every microchip. Like the home again scanner can, can find every microchip, but some of the, the scanners that are made by other manufacturers might not pick up uh, microchips. Right. By so you have to make sure that they have the ability to be picked up by a universal scanner, that somebody doesn't have yeah. to have your microchip scanner, rather whoever has a scanner. So that's a good question that people need to ask their veterinarian before they get a microchip. Is this a universal microchip that if in fact they chip it, they scan it with any wand, it'll pop up. Correct. Wonderful. Yeah, it's it's really important. And it's it's such um, an easy thing to do. In fact, I send all my puppies home already chipped and already registered with the uh, chip provider because I want to make sure that if they get lost on their way home, perfect when you said, you know, they spook, they get away, they might have a collar on. You have to rely on the person not to want to keep that cute little puppy. Um, so right. you want to make sure that you have a collar with their name. Um, I always suggest tags are really good. Uh, having a collar with your telephone number um, weaved in uh, is yes. even better because then exactly. it doesn't fall off. <laughs> and with a reflective collar, even yep. better. Yep. Because you really want to make sure. With it weaved in. Yeah. Because yeah. you really want to make sure that you give your pet every chance to come home. So here we are talking about all the benefits of microchips and what we really as pet owners um, have come to rely on as that absolute, right? If somebody finds my dog, um, it's going to get scanned and or cat, it's going to get scanned, it's going to get returned. And you and I as attorneys have found out that's not always the case. Yes, it is not. So first of all, and let me give you another example though, sure. of a case where having a microchip really assisted somebody getting their animal back. And this was a case where a woman was that I know of personally who was in a car accident. And she was hit by a drunk driver, it was just at a stop sign. And the drunk driver just careened into her and she was knocked unconscious. The car uh, was tilted over, you know, windows smashed. Her dog was very frightened and ran away and just kept running. And uh, luckily was caught by somebody. And um, when they took the, the pet into their vet, because the, cat, the pet, the dog had some lacerations, they did scan. Yeah. And we're able to go backwards, but just trying to give people examples of that. You can't, there's so many things you can't anticipate where you might need a microchip. You can't just say I'm responsible. My dog's always on a leash or whatever, because there's so many uncontrolled circumstances. It's so but, funny um, you yeah. say that because my husband always says, oh, just let Junie off the leash. And my dog is really well behaved. Uh, and I said, he just has to not listen to me once. He yeah. just has to not listen to me once. I said, and I'm not exactly. really willing to test that in an unfenced area. I just, I'm not, I, you know, and I love him and I know he'd love to be off free running and sometimes it gets to me, but really you have to make sure that you have your pet in a completely secure environment. And, you know, our MAP community that meets on Wednesdays talks about just that issue that if you have a car accident and the dogs are with you, what have you done to provide safety for them and also to provide the care for them that they need if something happens to you. So it's fabulous that you brought that up because if you're knocked unconscious, where, do the, where does the dog go if he's still in the car because you drive with them in crates like I do? 
or what happens if they get loose? I mean, you right. should have something on the car that says, listen, um, I had a dog in this car. My dog is, my dog is traveling with me. Uh, so if uh, he's not here, please look for him. And he's, you know, this or that, or I have dogs at home. If you're in a car accident, because we learned during COVID that a number of people didn't realize they'd be put on ventilators when they went to the hospital because they were sicker oh, than right. they thought. And then no one was caring for their pets because it was supposed to be, I'm just going to go to the doctor and, you know, come home. And that didn't happen. So you're absolutely right. You know, these microchips provide that peace of mind that if the dog is found, cat is found um, and brought to a veterinarian or um, a shelter, uh, that if you ask them to scan it to see if it has a chip, they will uh, at a veterinarian's office. Um, shelters and uh, rescues usually uh, scan them no matter what, whether you ask them or not. But therein lies a little bit of the misconception about how quickly or how often microchips are not scanned. That is true. So um, as of today, there's a number of states, I'm looking over here at this list, that have passed a provision of some sort that either mandates that owners put microchips in their pets and or that that vets and humane societies and just uh, public animal shelters scan if an animal comes in and the ownership is unknown. So apparently Hawaii, interestingly, was the first state to mandate that owners microchip their pets. So not only does their law apply to shelters and veterinarians, but also to animal owners. District of Columbia, Florida, Georgia, Hawaii, Illinois, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Texas all have some form of legislation. And here in the Commonwealth of Virginia, we just, uh, in July of 2022, passed a Virginia law regarding microchipping. So what most of these laws say is that if an animal is presented either to a veterinarian or to a shelter, whether it's a private shelter or whether it's a government operated shelter, uh, that they are required to scan for a microchip. Now, that doesn't mean that every pet is automatically scanned for a microchip. So this is where kind of the rub comes in. The case that you and I had talked about where an individual cared for a stray cat for almost a year and didn't have the cat in her home, finally was able to get her hands on the cat, took the cat to the vet and said, you know, we've been caring for this stray cat and, you know, here's her name and we've, she's finally accepted us as her family and we'd like to get her initial shots and whatever else she needs or whatever and drops the cat off. Well, it turns out the cat is microchipped and the microchip indicates ownership from someone else. So there begins a problem. Right. <laughs> so there so, are a number of so there's so one of the problems I'm sure you're going to get to is that the law is specific about when veterinarians um, are supposed to scan a cat and it isn't if it's brought in for vaccinations and for um, a shampoo uh, if someone comes in as the owner the gray area here is that at least in my understanding is that the the law is triggered if someone's releasing a pet yes it is and but it's also like the virginia law i think has uh, uses the term unknown now i can't remember if that's exactly how it is you know quoted but it's if an animal animal's ownership is unknown. 
So what does that mean? For these people, they had cared for this cat for over a year. Um, they had tried to get animal control involved. Nobody had responded. They posted signs. They'd done all sorts of stuff. So was the ownership of this animal really unknown at that point? So this is also where it can get very complicated depending on the jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. First of all, you've, you've got your local ordinances, maybe, maybe not, relating to pet responsibility, pet ownership, pet relinquishment. Then you've got state laws that also apply to those things. Yep. And then state laws that apply to just general principles of property. And then you have laws that, you know, generally have state laws that apply to animal husbandry, what means, uh, you know, what creates ownership and control of an animal, what creates uh, statutory relinquishment of an animal, like in Virginia, if you don't provide food or water for, I think it's four days, then you can be deemed to have relinquished ownership because okay. you're not caring for your animal. And often these things don't, they don't all add up. You right. might have that the state, the, the municipal law says one thing, the state law says another. And um, then we have certain requirements. Uh, some states and some uh, localities have requirements that if you find a stray animal that you have to report with a, within a certain period of time. And if you do report and nobody responds, then after a certain period of time, ownership is with Reverse the person who's caring for the animal. Right, right. Right. So then enter, you know, visit to the veterinarian. veterinarian nobody, ever, nobody ever thought of those laws with respect to what happens if enter veterinarian and scan happens. Right. And, you know, and, and somebody at the vet office hears stray in the description of the new pet, does the scanning, and then the scanning indicates that it is not the person who brought the pet in. So... <clears throat> you know, what happens. And then that also brings in what we talked about earlier is the veterinary client patient relationship, the VCPR, which can be, you know, a glorious thing and a bugaboo depending on how it Who's, arises. That's in right. And, and how you're looking at it. Right. Right. And from what perspective. Yep. So, you know, what do you do? We had, I recall having recently a conversation with a veterinary technician where she was involved in scanning an animal that was brought in and it was being brought in to be euthanized. And so that's most, a lot of these statutes say that if an animal's brought in to be euthanized, then you should also scan to make and sure. Everybody understands that. Absolutely. So, and in this case, by the time they figured out who the, to whom the, the pet was registered, the person was incarcerated. And so there then came in, you know, this whole debate about, what the rights were of the incarcerated individual. And of course, when people are incarcerated, they really don't have any rights necessarily. Yeah. They can't act as free citizens on a lot of things. And then also uh, there is, um, it's not infrequent that the veterinarian or shelter worker may scan an animal and there's more than one microchip. I know that at our Richmond SBCA, that that's not an entirely infrequent occasion. So here's another thing to think about. You get a pet and uh, you're responsible and you have it microchip and you become ill and you can't take care of your pet. So you ask your best friend to take the pet for you. And then the best friend has the pet. And then, you know, the pet, the best friend moves to California and you're in Virginia. I mean, there, if you don't keep up with the microchip 
the microchip is only as good as the information that is retained with the microchip. So there are instances where a microchip might say that the animal is registered to one person when in fact the person who has the animal rightfully has it. Like in the Absolutely. instance where someone is ill and says, will you please take care of my cat? And nobody thinks to change the registration for the microchip. No, I so know microchip. that perfectly. Yep. Because I always am the first owner on all my puppies who go out. And yet I, I remain as the second owner on the microchips. They can re-register and be the primary owner, but I always have to be the secondary owner and they may live in California, but then I know whose dog it is. So that's a great thing to have the, the secondary mm -hmm. registration. So I think that's that's another sort of uh, misunderstanding is that people feel like that the microchip itself is definitive of ownership, when in fact it's not. It's only one piece of information. Yes. It's obviously it, a rather persuasive piece of information, but it is only a piece of information. Absolutely. So, and, you know, that's the thing that you and I have talked at length about. You know, what does ownership mean? How can you establish ownership? Well, now with the way the laws are changing... Um, the microchip is one indicia of ownership. If the dog is is given to you um, by a contract with a rescue, that's another indicia of ownership. I paid for the rescue fees or I bought it from a breeder or a pet store. That's another indicia of ownership. But then it's also the pictures and the vet expenses that someone else might have been taking for a year and a half while they took care of your cat or not. Um, and then it might just be the pictures of being with the cat all the time for a year and a half, and you don't have any pictures because the cat's been gone. Right. And it is very complicated. And I think it's also important, particularly for those who are listening, who are pet owners, is to remember this. Under the laws of most states, not all, but under the laws of most states, um, the law of property ownership applies to pets. Yeah. That's changing in a lot of areas, and it's a big area of debate, as both Deborah and I know. Um, but currently, in many jurisdictions, uh, if you are to have a dispute about a pet, if you were to go into court and you were going to seek damages for either someone else taking that pet or harming that pet, that you were deprived of that pet, you would have to prove what that pet is worth and what the pet is worth is not what the pet is worth to you. Right. Right. <laughs> it's going to be, what is a stray cat worth, which is yeah. probably whatever the adoption fee is at the local shelter. And that's just the way the law is. And there are many arguments. Pain and suffering in and emotional distress, not there yet. Right. Yeah. And it depends, you know, obviously under the circumstances, if somebody or to, you know, we don't want to stray off too far into the subject, right. but if somebody were to torture your pet in front of you, at least under Virginia law, you might be able to get something in addition because yeah. that's an intentional act. And, and it's a criminal act as well, not just, uh, right. you know, a, a taking of property, but it's a criminal right. act because it's, it's, criminal uh, act. it's animal abuse. Uh, so it really is, is off topic on the, on the microchip, but that only means Elizabeth, you're going to have to come back because there's so much more that we have to talk <laughs> about. I'm sure like divorce as well, because, you know, if you microchip and both of your names are on the microchip, who gets the dog or the cat in, in divorce, it's a whole different thing that you need to right. really make sure you plan for when you get the pet instead of when you're divorcing. Cause when you get the pet, you still like the person usually. <laughs> And Usually. you know what? You're going to still like the pet at the end of it. <laughs> yes, exactly. And the, the pet's still going to like your ex 
which is right. really horrifying because you really want them not to like your ex, but they do because right. that's the only other person they know. So, I mean, we're coming to the end. This went so quickly. I can't believe it. So the, the bottom line is that uh, microchipping is a must along with a collar with a tag or a weave name into it so that your pet can be returned to you. Um, and most of the time that works seamlessly. The only time that doesn't work seamlessly, I think, Elizabeth, you said, was if, you know, there's a lot of time that goes on in between when you lose your pet and somebody might be caring for your pet. So then you have to look at the state law, the county law on what provides abandonment of your pet. So you haven't fed them in five days because you can't find them, uh, but somebody's feeding them for five days. Does that um, dilute your ownership if you can't find it? Well, five days, 10 days a month, maybe not a year or so there's something to be discussed there because you know this person has been taking care of the pet and of course in my adr world i always say well that's good because now you have an heir and a spare so to speak you have people who really love right. this pet and so if something comes up yes you might fight for it but then keep that person in your life because they love the pet too go on vacation whatever the pet could go to them um, right. So final thoughts, Elizabeth, in this is that, you know, I think you said making sure that you have your pet microchipped is key and making sure uh, that you keep it up to date with where you are, who you are is also key. Yes, it is, because it's only as good as the information that's in the system. You know, a lot of times, like you were saying that when you with your puppies that you put the microchip in initially, so often when animals are with a certain humane society, the, inf the information can always go back to the humane society, then they can check their records and try to work from there. Another point is that generally, if an organization um, scans for the microchip, they're not gonna just hand over the name to you. You know, So then it's like, well, who, who adjudicates this, right? right? So really the best situation is that the animal goes to animal control with the two names of the people and then let the government entity figure it out. It's not a good idea for, for example, a veterinarian to just take an animal from one person and hand it over to another because yeah, that's there's, not- there's a, lot of, there's a lot of issues. We'll come back and talk about that too with the VCPR because it really is sort of a, a no-no in vet school that you ever, give a pet to someone on a microchip who isn't the person who brought the pet in. There are ways to handle that, respect everyone's position. And we have so much to talk about with microchips. Everybody probably thought this was cut and dry, put a microchip in, you're good to go. And you and I have now started them to think about what they need to do to make sure that that microchip works for them. And that if in fact they've lost a cat or dog for a year or something like that, or two years and someone has taken care of it, that's what we'll talk about next time. What you might do instead of saying, wait, that's my dog or cat. Yes, that's my dog or cat, but recognize without these people caring for it, it wouldn't be right. in as good shape as it was. So that's our next talk, Elizabeth. We have so much to cover. Okay. I am so glad you're here. This is Elizabeth well, Dust. You. Now, Elizabeth, how do they get in touch with you if they need you? Because you work out of Virginia, correct? I do. So I wish I had an easy to remember website, but I don't. <laughs> it's uh, Elizabeth B. as in Butterworth, Stutz, ESQ.com. And my email is ebstutz at Elizabeth B. Stutz, ESQ.com. So let's yes. have your phone number. It's uh, area code 804-389-7323. And I am almost always available at that number. 
Wonderful. Well, we're going to have those in the show notes. Elizabeth, I'm so glad you're here. We're going to have to think about carrying on this conversation because there are ways in which to manage finding the wrong name on the microchip and using it in a way for good, as opposed to being judge and jury. But we'll talk about that next time, everyone. Until next time, this is Deborah Hamilton, Why Do Pets Matter? Thank you, Elizabeth Stutz, for coming. And we will see you on the next podcast. The Why Do Pets Matter podcast drops every Thursday and can be found on whichever platform you find your podcast. Subscribe now, invite your friends, and I cannot wait to have you join me in these conversations.